Well, good morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. You know, this is the 28th year that we have celebrated Easter together here at Seacoast. And I've got to tell you, this one's going to be better than any of them. You know, Easter is such a great day. We celebrate Jesus and we get her dressed like Easter eggs. I love it. It's just, it's a great time. How have you ever wished that you could get a clear sign from God on something? Anybody ever? You had a decision you needed to make, you know, it, maybe it's a relationship deal or maybe it's a job thing. Do I go? Do I stay? And you just need a word from God. You need a sign. You've been there, haven't you? So what do you do? How do you handle that? I'll tell you how I handle it. I go to P.F. Chang's because <laughs> they have these right here. You know what these are? Huh? Fortune cookie. Good stuff, huh? So you need a sign from God. Let's see what God's saying today for you. Here we go. Everybody needs to be loved, especially those who do not deserve it. It's a little lame. <laughs> Put it over here. Yeah, well, we figured it would be, so we made some for you. How about this one? The fortune you seek is in another cookie. <laughs> I like this one. Never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. How do you know that that's wisdom? Okay, that's good. You don't get anything else out of this. That was good for you right there. One more, one more. You will be hungry again in an hour. So here's the truth about signs. You know, oftentimes we don't see them. We pray for a sign, we don't see a sign, or maybe it's not as clear as we thought it would be. And uh, they always require faith just to believe. On Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, some women came to the tomb on that very first Easter Sunday. Jesus had been crucified just a few hours before on Good Friday, which was anything but good for him. Because it happened on the Passover, Jewish law required that he be buried before sunset, and so a proper burial had not been done, and so these women are coming to complete that whole process. They're sad, they're discouraged, they're shocked. No doubt they're crying. Nothing about life made sense for them that day. They're probably not looking for a sign, they're not looking for anything. But then they're startled to see the stone was rolled away. They came to the stone and there had been a Roman guard around it and there had been a seal and now the stone's rolled away and there's an angel there. Matthew Chapter 28 records the words of the angel. It said, then the angel spoke to the women. Do not be afraid, he said. I, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. And then the angel gave him a sign. He said, come and look and see where his body was lying. The angel knew that they would need a sign, and so he, he, he took them to one. And they, and, and they went, and they, they found the other disciples, and they said, we saw it. He's not there. The sign would be a reminder that Jesus was no longer in that place, but that he had been risen from the dead. The sign of the empty tomb built their faith as it builds ours on this Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years later. 
And today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about three signs from Easter that I hope will build our faith. And not just today, but three things that we can look back on when things around us don't make sense. Are there things in the world that don't make sense to you? Well, there's a stability in this Easter, a stability in the story of a risen Lord. And I want to talk to you about that. I want to point you to three signs. The first one is the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross. And it's a sign that reminds me that I can be forgiven of all of my sins. And so I was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who told me about a conversation that he had with his father not long before his father died. My friend was raised in another state in the north, and they were an irreligious family. They never went to church. I said, you guys didn't go to church even on Christmas and Easter? And they said, no. We, he said, I don't honestly remember ever going. Maybe I went for a wedding once or a funeral, but we just, we didn't go to church. So my friend moved down to uh, the south, and he partied his way through school. And I fell in love with a girl who, coincidentally, was praying for a Christian husband. <laughs> he was about the furthest from it, but somehow they connected, fell in love, and got married. He told me that the, uh, his sin and his partying had such a grip on him that he found himself actually plotting to cheat on her while he was on his honeymoon. Crazy, the time when... It should have been so special to each one of them. He uh, was preoccupied by his own lust that seemed to have no end. So the idea of his own unfaithfulness was, was, uh, was so, so repulsive to him that when they got home, he knew something had to change, and he said, let's try God. So they went to a small church in the Charleston area, and there he encountered a risen Jesus. And it changed his life forever. And I'm happy to report that they've been married for over 40 years. But let's go back to the conversation with his father just a few years ago. He'd gone to visit his father in their home. And my friend had resigned himself that not to talk about religious things, not to have spiritual conversations with his dad, because his dad didn't want anything to do with it. Not bad people, just didn't want to have anything to do with that. And as he readied to leave their home that day, his father summoned him outside on the porch for a private conversation. Not knowing what to expect, my friend followed him outside where his non-religious father asked him the first spiritual question in his lifetime. He said it like this, son, tell me about that born-again crap. <laughs> that's just that's what he said. I'm just quoting so my friend took a deep breath, whispered a prayer, and uh, started to share with his father for the first time the reality of the cross of Jesus. After he had kind of wrapped up the story, his last words to his father were this, Dad, because Jesus died for your sin, you can be forgiven of everything that you've ever done. Everything. That moment, my friend said his, his father's lip began to quiver just a little bit, and then there were just a few tears that started to come down his cheek, and it, it rapidly escalated into deep, deep sobs. 
as his father came to the realization of what that meant in his life. My friend said that the intensity of his emotion led him to wonder about what, what could have been closed up inside for so long that caused such deep pain. Could have, could have been, you know, things that he did that brought deep shame. Maybe it was cheating on a friend or even his spouse, or maybe he crossed a line that he never thought that he could, or maybe it was just an accumulation of a lifetime of little regrets. Whatever it was, it poured out of him like a river that day as he received the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. So what about you? What about you? Have you experienced God's forgiveness for your sins and for your mistakes and for your regrets? Times that you didn't keep your promises or maybe you cheated on a friend or a spouse or said things that destroyed a relationship or secretly acted in ways that you hope will never come to light. Have you received God's forgiveness? Because God's grace is absolutely amazing. In fact, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says it this way, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and, he con and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. God canceled the debt of sin that you had. If you come to Seacoast often, you know that we have a response time at the end of our service, and we have crosses. We have them on either side of the stage here. We have them in every auditorium where you're watching from. And, uh, and one of the things that we do is we, we take our, our unconfessed sin and we, we bring it to the cross uh, as, as a symbol of God canceling the dead against us. It just is a symbolic thing to, so that you can see it with your eyes of what he has done. It says that he nailed it to the cross, all of your sin to the cross. And then beyond that, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17, God says, your sins, your lawless acts, I will remember no more. Wow. How do you do that? In other words, an omniscient God who knows everything has somehow limited himself to where that he forgets our sin. How does he do that? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I don't understand it. I just believe that it's true and it's the case. I don't know about you, but that's good news. I mean, it's good news for me, and I know some of you, it ought to be really, really, really good news. It applies to all of my past sin, my current sin, and all of my future sin. You say all of them? Yes, all of them. Even if secretly in my heart I'm a New England Patriot fan? Yes! <laughs> question. Have you received his forgiveness? Or are you still carrying around the penalty for your sin? 1 John 1 and verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's do a quick poll, real quick poll. How many of you have sinned? There's a section right over here that's really pure. Let me just preach to you guys for this minute. <laughs> 
Now, it's pretty much unanimous. We, we've all sinned. Well, here's the good news. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God forgives our sins. He's faithful and just. You don't have to worry about that. You don't even have to, you know, you wonder, well, will God forgive me? You know, and sometimes we feel like something that we've done is like, wow, I, I know I couldn't forgive myself, but I don't see how God could. God, God does. He's committed to it. That's what he did on the cross. Your sin was carried by Jesus, and you are forgiven. That's the first sign from Easter is the cross reminds me if I can be forgiven of everything that I've ever done. The second sign of Easter is an angel, an angel. And an angel is a sign that reminds me of the current favor of God in my life. An angel is a symbol of God's favor. Now, I want to tell you an Old Testament story that will kind of tie that together a little bit. Um, in the Old Testament, there's a story that happened a few hundred years before the resurrection, but not very far from where these ladies were going to the tomb. It happened in Bethlehem. There's a woman named Ruth who was from a foreign country, and uh, she's with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and both of them have had tragedy in their life. They lost a husband. They lost, in Naomi's case, sons. They're coming back to Naomi's homeland, but there's no work for them. It's a different culture. It's going to be difficult for two widows uh, to sustain themselves. And finally, it's come to a point they're hungry. Somebody has to do something. And so Ruth goes out, and it's harvest season. And so she goes out, and she does what's called gleaning a field. In Old Testament times, in Old Testament law, because God wanted to take care of everybody, everybody was important, uh, in, a, in a harvest, there were laws for harvest. If you owned a piece of land and you were out harvesting, do the best you can to get everything out of the field. But there are things that drop off of the wagons, you know, and maybe you don't quite get everything. And the law said you can't go over and do it twice. You need to leave that stuff that you couldn't get for those who don't have enough. Or maybe for strangers who are wandering through so they can glean the field after you're done. And that's exactly what Ruth was doing. But what she noticed is that as she picked up stuff, there was more and more. In fact, it was easier for her than it should have been. And what she didn't know is that Boaz, the wealthy man who owned the field, had given instructions to his man, men, and it's found in Ruth 2.15. He says, let her gather among the sheaves, don't rep reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. And so what Boaz is telling his guys, he said, not only stuff that we couldn't get, but you pull some stuff we've already got on purpose and you leave it for her. Why? Because she was favored by Boaz. And he said, make her life just that much easier. And you say, well, what's the connection with that in the, you know, the, the Easter story? Well, here, here's what it is. Those who study this section say that that Boaz was a type of Christ. In other words, if you look in the Old Testament, you see certain people that, if you want to know what Jesus was like or is like, this person is a type of them. You can study them, and Boaz was one of those. It's a type of Jesus. 
And so it's, here's what's really cool is that Jesus, who is our heavenly Boaz, purposefully commands his blessings on us by telling his angels, hey, fellas, spread some more blessing for them. Leave more, on purpose, leave more, just as Boaz did. And then all we have to do is go out into the fields, pick them up, because we are under God's favor if we are in Christ. Now, an angel is the symbol of that favor. And you say, well, you know what? My life doesn't feel very much like it's favored by God. Well, let me explain what favor is. Favor really is a mindset, and it's a mindset that says this, God is for me. Can you say that together? God is for me. Let's say it again. God is for me. See, some people think that God is against them. They feel like, you know, God's holding a grudge against me for something I did, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago or maybe just last week. Well, let's remember the first sign, which was the sign of the cross that says that if you're in Christ and you confess your sin, that he's faithful and just to forgive him. And then it says that God forgets, God forgets all of my sin. And so he, he doesn't remember. If he doesn't remember, he can't have a grudge. God isn't against you. Now, God is against some people. Let me just say that. Because there's scripture in the Bible that says that God opposes who? The proud, but he gives favor and grace to the humble. And so, and so God is opposed to the proud. What's pride? Pride could be defined as thinking that you can live your life well enough without God. See, the whole point of the Easter weekend is that you can't, you never could, and you aren't expected to in the future live your life apart from God. So just humble yourself and say, God, I need your help. And so, and so if you do that, then God isn't for you or, or against you. God is for you. It's important to remember that. In fact, the apostle Paul said it like this. He said, if God is for me, who can be against me? That's a question. What's the answer to that question? Nobody. If the God of the universe is for you, then who can be against you? Nobody. Not even yourself. How of you would agree that you're probably your own worst enemy? You are your biggest critic, you know? And if God is for you, nobody, not even yourself, can be against you. Do you think having that kind of attitude would help you in your day-to-day -day life? When you go to work tomorrow or you go to school or you're raising kids, whatever you do, an attitude that says, God is for me. I'm living under the favor of God. God is for me. Maybe you have a challenging day and nothing's working and frustration is building and you feel a headache coming on and you stop and you remember, if God is for me, who can be against me? It's a sign of the Easter story. Here's the problem. In the heat of the action, we forget. We start acting like God is against us and people is against us and the world is against us or we're incapable of doing what we're tasked to do and we forget that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. 
We forget that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. We forget that God is for us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? We lose the mindset that because of Jesus, we're living in the favor of God. So here's the solution. We need reminders of God's favor. A few nights ago, we, we were driving into our house. Actually, we didn't drive into our house. We drove right next to our house. <laughs> we were driving up, and there's this, uh, Debbie does all kind of plants, and there's this potted plant right next to the screen porch there in the front of the little barn we live in. And in the potted plant, th- there was a, an angel. I, I, I mean, literally, an angel. And it was like, it was at night, and so it was lit up. I'll show you. I, I took pictures. On the left is, I took it during the daytime, and on the right, it's at night. What it is, it's a solar-powered angel in our potted plant. And so Debbie said, where did that come from? And immediately thought, I had something to do with it. I said, I don't know. I didn't have any. She said, oh, I didn't do it. You need to find out who did it. She thought maybe that somebody planted a solar angel that might have a recording device in it that's recording our life or something. And so... I went out and looked at the angel, and I thought, well, it's okay. It's just a solar angel. I've never seen one before, but there it was in the potted plant. So I asked around to the kids, do you know? No. And I asked some of our friends in the neighborhood, no. And we don't know. I mean, we had some work going on next door, so maybe one of the workers put it in, forgot to take it home. She said, well, you need to get rid of it. So I went out, and I was getting ready to get rid of it, and I thought of this message. I thought, no, that angel is a reminder of the favor of God in my life. Every time I pull in to my driveway, I'm going to see that angel and remember that I am favored by God, that God is for me and not against me. So maybe you need to get an angel to put in your potted plant. (laughs) Or maybe you just need to have reminders around you. Or maybe when you think of angels or see angels, pictures of angels, you remember that God is for you and that you live in the favor of God. Easter signs. The cross is a sign that I can be forgiven of everything I've ever done. The angel is a sign that I can walk in God's favor in my life. And the third one is this. The empty tomb is a sign that reminds me of God's promise for my future. Reminds me of God's promise for my future. What is a tomb? A tomb is a place where you store dead things. And in this case, it was storing the lifeless body of Jesus. In your case, the tomb may be storing a dream that has died. Or maybe a relationship that's over. Or maybe it's hope that's gone. There's a finality to the tomb. You just put the body in and leave it there until it decays. There may be something in your life that you feel that way about. It's hopeless. It's painful. There's a finality to it. It clouds your thinking almost every day. The tomb was a cold, dark, damp, lonely, scary place. But in reality, the tomb was just a temporary inconvenience on the path to where Jesus was going. He had to go through the tomb, but he didn't have to stay there, and he didn't. See, a closed tomb couldn't hold what God had in store for his future. They tried. They sealed it. They put a stone over it. They put uh, uh, a Roman guard 
around it, but nothing could stop the plans that God had for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth. God has plans for you. In fact, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you and to give you hope and a future. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says it like this. You were recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works which were planned in advance for you. God has plans for you. And nothing, no tomb, no resistance, nothing can stop the plans that he has for you by the power, which by the way, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Not an ailing body, not broken relationships, not a fickle economy, nothing, nothing can thwart the plans of God in your life. See, Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, and we're not staying here either. Now, the reality is, even if you walk in the, in the favor of God, you understand that your sins are forgiven, life will serve you a curveball every once in a while. Anybody have a testimony of that? There'll be times when the kids don't listen. Testimony there? There'll be times when there's too much month at the end of the paycheck or times when friends act like enemies or when old habits just never seem to die. Why, why does that happen? It's because this is Charleston, it's not heaven. I'm speaking today from Mount Perfect, okay, or Pleasant. <laughs> this is a great place. In fact, travel magazines call this the number one destination in the world. Bummer about that is when you live here, where do you go for a vacation? Well, you know, I mean, you're here. But this isn't even close to being the number one destination. This is a far distant second. Because if you're a Christ follower, your travel ticket is stamped heaven. Where you are is not where you're going. Where you've been is not where you're going to be. And, and, and it doesn't even compare. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says about heaven, For it is written, eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's talking about heaven. It says it's a place where there is no sickness, there is no sorrow. There are no tears. There are no bad memories. It's a place where the Broncos always win the Super Bowl. There are no hurts. There are no hang-ups. No bad habits. There's no unemployment. There's no starving children. There's no jealousy. There's no fear. There's no terrorist attacks. There's no war. It's a place that Jesus promised. When he came out of the tomb, he came to his disciples and he said, I'm going somewhere. I'm going to build a house for you. Where I am, you're going to be someday. And it's as real as the nose on the front of your face. The empty tomb is a sign that it's going to happen, that your future is guaranteed. If God's power raised Jesus from the tomb, then his power will raise you and I to be with him someday. That's why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, therefore, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all light momentary troubles. And some of you might say, you know what, my troubles aren't light nor are they momentary. They've been for a long time. And I don't want to make light of what you may be going through. But let me tell you what the Apostle Paul calls light momentary troubles. He's referring to the fact that whenever he goes to a city, usually there's resistance in the city. And people get all mad at him. And they don't just flame him on Facebook. 
They take him outside of the city walls. They stone him. They beat him. He said twice he was left for dead. They thought he was dead. He calls that light and momentary because he understands that it pales in comparison to what God has for him and for you and I. And so he says, fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Here's Greg's interpretation for that. Align your eyes with where you're going, not with what you're going through. Align your eyes. Look, look up. Align your eyes with where you're going, not with what you're going through. So the cross tells me that I can be forgiven. The angel reminds me that I can live right now in the favor of God. And the empty tomb reminds me that God has promised me a better forever. You know, you'll drive out of this parking lot and you won't remember anything, very little about this sermon. I want you to remember three words, three words. Forgiven, favor, and future. Let's say that together. Forgiven, favor, and future. One more time. Forgiven, favor, and future. No wonder they call it good news. Here's the question. Have you personalized the good news? Good news becomes great joy when it becomes personal. Have you made a decision to follow Christ with your life? See, everything we talked about today is active, not passive. In other words, it doesn't just happen to everybody. It doesn't just happen to you. You have to make a decision. You have to say, you know what? I'm going to follow Christ. See, forgiveness has an opposite correlation. You don't have to walk in the knowledge that God has forgiven you of everything that you've ever done. You can walk in guilt and shame. A lot of people do. Favor has an opposite correlation. We talked about that. God resists the proud. The proud don't have the favor of God in their lives. Proud are those who think that they can go through life without God's help. Heaven has an opposite correlation. It's called hell. We don't talk about it a lot. But your eternal destiny is going to be in one of two places. Either in a place forever full of the presence of God and everything that's good. It's called heaven. Or in a place that is the absence of all that is good. Kind of a forever tomb. I would challenge you, seacoasters here and whoever you may be watching online or in a campus, choose wisely today because your life and your future depends on it. Let's bow for closing prayer. Like everybody in this room and wherever you happen to be, just to bow. Close your eyes for a minute. Just give yourself some margin. Shut out all distractions. Let's not think about where we're going or where we've been. Let's think about right now. I believe that God drew us to this place today. I don't believe in coincidences. God ordered your life in such a way. There would be circumstances, there would be people who'd lead you to this moment. For some of us, if we're real honest, we'd say, you know what? 
I'm not a Christ follower. I'd like to be. I think that's where I need to be. That's one of the reasons I'm here today. But I've never really said, I want to follow you with my life. That's why you're here. You're here because God knew you'd be quiet enough in this moment for him to say to you, I love you. I have good plans for you. I've got hope and a future for you. Others of us, maybe there was a time in our life when we did walk with Jesus, but we're walking a long ways away right now. It might be because of disappointment or circumstances or even anger at God for something that happened in your life. Rather than shaking an angry fist at God, maybe it's time to say, God, I need your help. I need your help. Would you help me? So maybe you've never received the life that comes from Jesus, the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Or maybe you've walked a long ways away from him. I want to challenge you to make a commitment. I believe in it so strongly. I'm going to ask you in just a second. I'm going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand. You say, why are you doing that? Just want to, I, 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 I want you to come to a decision point of not just flirting with a relationship with God, but going all in and saying, I want to walk with you. Okay? So let's get ready. One, God loves you. Two, God's got plans for you that are good. Three, would you just raise your hand if that's you? Would you raise your hand? I'm committing my life right now. I'm committing my life right now. I want to follow him. Okay, just raise your hand. In the balconies, in the balconies, you do that? Just raise your hand. That's awesome. Dozens and dozens and dozens. There have been hundreds of us so far this weekend. God wants to change your life. Will you look at me now? Everybody just kind of look up at me. Will you do that? I want to lead you in a prayer, okay? I'm going to put some words on the screen. Let's put them on the screen. And they're just words unless you make them personal. And if you make them personal, then everything I've talked about today is yours, okay? So let's pray together. All of us, all of us, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life, and I will follow you. God, I thank you for just the sincerity of the hearts and the prayers of people in this room and in rooms that are listening just all over. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that the Holy Spirit would seal the commitments that we've made by your power. We commit them to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.